Hey, Cobblestone, how we doing? Great. Woo, woo. Hey, welcome to East, week after Easter. Uh, for the last few years, we've done a thing called You Asked For It. We're going to get to that in a second. It involves you texting your questions in, and I don't know what they are, and then I'm going to answer them. It's just a real fun time for me to not know what I'm going to talk about. It makes me nervous, but I love it because I think all of us in this room, if we were honest, we have questions, uh, and so I want to welcome you to this family, that song we just sang, Worthy of It All. It has been my prayer that that would be this, this house's song, like this church would be caught up in that idea, that God is worthy of it all, that thing, all things are to him and for him and from him. Like this, we would just herald that to the earth almost, right? And you're like, well, we're just from Oxford, Ohio. I, I know. We're just from Georgia. I know. But like the things that God does through a people surrendered to the idea that God is bigger and worthy of everything, uh, I, I can't even fathom what he might want to do. And so welcome to this place. We're a dysfunctional mess of a family. Uh, and be, whoop, somebody just gave a cheer for that. Whoop. We are. We, we, we definitely have problems. If you came to a place that's perfect, you should probably leave. Uh, and so with that set up, you're like, can't wait. Yeah. Um, what I thought we would do before we get into questions, which I imagine are going to range from everything from where were the dinosaurs in the Bible to can I smoke pot to uh, like just the, the full gamut of questions are probably going to be answered today. Uh, I thought I would have a little human interaction and if you're anything like me, you're, you're starting to sweat and your heart's palpitating because you're like, he's going to make me shake hands, isn't he? I am. Uh, and so for the next like two minutes, if you would, if you're, if you're not, go get some coffee, okay? And then come back. If, if you are, if you're just like, hey, this is my family, shake somebody's hand, at least three people's hands, love them, hug them, welcome them, get up, yep, get up, go. Yes, you can do this. All right, kind of head back to where you were. If there's no way you're making it, just sit next to your new friends. I really believe that God brings individuals here to be a part of this body. And so if you're interested in joining this place next week, we're going to start a series called Gifted. And if you're like, hey, didn't we just talk about spiritual gifts? What we did a few weeks ago is we, we zoomed in on the sign gifts, the ones that weird us out, the ones that we've neglected, which is tongues and prophecy and all the ones that were like, what are those? And now we're going to zoom out and again look at like everybody in here has been gifted by God. Everybody. And you might not have prophecy and you might not have tongues, but I, you do have a gift according to scripture and we need you to use it. So we're going to spend about four weeks, the month of May, looking at just that. We're going to give you some, if you've ever taken a spiritual gifts test, your time's coming to take another one, okay? We're just going to do that, that work. Uh, and so I would, I, would, I would challenge you right now, while I'm setting this up, if you have a question, text the number, 
It might get on the screen. If not, we'll probably cover it sometime this year. But here's what I know about questions. I have sat in enough rooms with enough people, and I'm not talking like the easy questions. I'm talking like, what happened to my friend when they committed suicide, Andrew? What, what happened when my little girl died, Andrew? Like, these are the heart-level questions. And all questions, and I'm convinced this is true, every question you ask is about root heart level. It reveals your heart. And the heart really is asking one kind of question. Can I trust God? Can I trust him? So if my friend died and I don't like how they died, and are they in heaven or are they in hell or was suicide redemption? I mean, what is, what's going on there? The heart level question is, can I trust the God of the Bible? And so here's what I know. I can answer every question you have in this room. And it still not, will not resolve the question of, can I trust the Lord? And so I'm going to answer some questions today, and I'm praying by the Holy Spirit I give some good answers. But at the end of the day, even if I sat down with you at Taco Bell over a Tostito Crunch and we ate it and it was great, like, it wouldn't resolve the heart-level issue of will I put my faith in, will I follow after, will I trust the Lord, even when I can't quite see, but by faith I trust that he's good. And what I can see, what I can proclaim is that Jesus is the Christ and that he is worth following. And it's not always going to make sense. And, and so here's what I want to do. I want to pray. And you're like, no kidding. Uh, no, I, I want you to join me in praying because here's the thing. Uh, this, this whole thing bothered me all week because I was like, well, here's the setup. You're going to text me the questions. The professional's going to answer them. And then you're going to walk away and, and probably un, 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 unchanged, if I'm being honest. But what I want for you is I want the moment where it's not just answers to questions. This isn't just apologetics 101. This is, I want the intersection of the truth of the word of God, your heart and the Holy Spirit, I want them to go. And then I want you to leave changed. So by the end of today, I'm going to challenge you to take your doubts, because that's usually where questions come from, is doubts, and I want you to bring them before God yourself. And I want you to go, can I, can I trust you with this? And I know it's not all sunshines and rainbows. We live in a real world. So I'm going to pray, just number one, that God would get you, and I mean that in the most loving way possible, uh, and, and then two, that the, the Lord would speak, not necessarily me. Would, would you pray with that with me? Jesus, we invite you here. In fact, we surrender the fact, God, that we don't, we don't know all things, but you do. And so, Holy Spirit, you are welcome to fill this room. I pray that you would silence our inner dialogues. You would silence the voice of the enemy. And that, Jesus, you would do the speaking. God, this is your church. You are the king of it. Pray that you would rule and reign over this room. That at heart level, God, can I trust you? That you would show yourself off as trustworthy this morning. That you would speak people's names. That you would redeem, save, break chains. That there would be life in this room. Thank you that we can bring questions. And that doesn't offend you, I don't think. So I love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. So I'm going to get us started. I picked a few from last year. Uh, we've done this every few years after Easter, and the idea is like you come here for Easter, and then we're like, come back next, we can ask some questions. Uh, and that's dumb. So here, here's, here's a question that we got last year. It was just simply, how do I help an atheist loved one find God? Seems to be a normal question, even in the college. How do I help someone that doesn't know the Lord? And I, I think the word atheist in there is telling, how do I help someone who's probably anti-God? Maybe a little antagonistic. You ever met a smart atheist? 
They actually know what they're talking about most of the time. And so they have arguments and they have reasoning. And usually what it's found in is you. Is they look at you and you're a hypocrite. Usually. If you can get actually past the intellectual nonsense that they'll throw at you first. And so here's what I say. How do you help an atheist love one fine God? You're going to be like, this is such a pastor answer. It is, but it's true. Pray. And I don't mean like, Lord, have your will with them, smite them. No, I mean like, like plead with the Lord. If you live with this person, you're praying through every room in the house that the presence of God would fill it and that they would encounter him. Like you're praying the demolishing of arguments and pretenses and spiritual things. Because if this thing's not against this flesh, it's not against this person you're fighting. But you're fighting against spiritual powers and principalities. You're, you're in a spiritual fight. Then we need to fight with spiritual weapons, which means we need to pray that this person's eyes would be opened because biblically the Bible would say that they just can't see. So for you to take a Bible and hit them because they can't see, why can't you see that Jesus is true? Like that's not helping them. That's like boxing with a blind person. Everyone was like, oh, right? Unless they're like Bruce Lee, then you get killed. But anyway, I mean like, so I think you pray, I think you love. And I don't mean like just like a little bit. I mean you lavish love on them. They punch you. You literally go, do you want, my, you want to hit me here? They insult you. They tell you you're a bigot. They tell you you're a moron. They tell you anything they can about how your faith is stupid, base level, and ignorant. And you go, how can I pray for you this week? I love you. Do it over and over and over again, because there's two places we go when we get offended, or when we're talking about atheist loved ones. Uh, we either get aggressive, which is like, you best listen to me or you're going to hell, or we go passive, which is we just sit at dinner with them every day, we never push, we never ask, we never bring up. No, I'm saying there's got to be this steady witness that you, no matter what's going to happen, are faith-filled, loving, exalting Christ to them. Does that make sense? Don't go aggressive. Don't start jabbing them. They're going to jab you probably. You can take it. You're a big girl, big boy. Pray for them. Love them well. That, that's my initial answer to that question. They have to see the love of Christ in you before they're ever going to will, be willing to see it from him, I, I believe. Okay? Let me do another one, and then we're going to get to uh, your guys' questions. Um, Actually, I'm going to let you decide. Will you do pet blessings was a question I got last year, which I just love that question. Uh, or, or two, is underage drinking wrong if you aren't getting drunk? Which one do you want, pets or drunk? If you want pets, raise your hand. Hmm. If you want drunk, raise your hand. Let's do that one. Okay. So <laughs> if... Everyone, let's talk about drugs, okay. Um, so will you do pet blessings? I'll give you the answer, no. But if you want to know why, you can come talk to me afterwards. Uh, three, um, is underage drinking wrong if you aren't getting drunk? If I was to give you the quickest answer possible, absolutely yes, and you should feel guilty about it. And all of you are like, oh, my trip to Amsterdam. I mean, like, I know, I know. So here's the thing. Uh, scripture does not forbid drinking in any form or fashion. And I know there's probably some ex-Baptists in here going to give me an email, but it doesn't. Um, <laughs> Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk. 
And over and over and over and over again, uh, the Bible's going to say, you don't get drunk. You are not ruled by this. If this starts to take hold of you, you forget it. And I would say, I could, I, there's so many little areas of this. If alcohol has a place in your family line of destroying your family line, don't be a fool and even touch it. Alcohol is not a thing that we are to rejoice in over our brothers or sisters. So this is what I always say about alcohol. Uh, if I'm ever at a wedding and there are teenagers present, I will not drink alcohol. I am free in Christ to do a lot of things. But if I'm around any of you even, I'm probably not going to drink alcohol unless I'm dead certain. And I mean like 100% spend a lot of time with you, know your background, know if you're going to fall or not, that it would be okay to do that. And so it says don't get drunk, but it also says in Romans 13, which is a verse that's been used on me before about wearing my seatbelt, um, That, I should, that breaking the law, that God has installed government and the leaders there to be obeyed. And so if you are under the age of 21 in America, guess where you live, kids? America. Then you need to obey that law as if you are obeying the Lord. Now you're like, well, that, what if the government's evil? What if, I mean, like, there's so many like, little fragment questions on that, I know. But in the area of alcohol, what will you gain? What do you gain? If you can drink or not, you gain. You don't, Christ is nowhere. This is like a secondary issue. If alcohol is a thing that like draws you, forget it, burn it, never look at it, don't touch it, and don't have it in your house. But if you feel the freedom, a little bit of wine every once in a while, I mean like with some good bread and some good friends and you're clinking glasses and Jesus is in there with that, like Jesus, thank you, then I could say maybe, hard maybe, depending on who's in the room, all right? But you underage, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> right? And you're like, well, I, anyway, okay, that, I, I answered that question. All right, let's give me, give me a new one. Give me like one from today. Uh, do you think God considers American Christianity lukewarm? If so, what am I to do about that? I read that slow so I could think. Um, <laughs> Do I think God considers American Christianity a lukewarm? Hmm. Hmm. This is great water. Uh, I was a whole nother, just give me one of those camelbacks. I'll just drink water for the next. Um, so here's the thing, I, like I was saying about questions. I, I always like to picture the person asking this question. Um, and so number one, if... If the heart attitude behind this is one of like condemning and like Christians are dumb in America, um, I would probably fight you in Taco Bell. But do I think that God sees the American church and goes, come on? Absolutely. And do I see a lot of lukewarm elements to sometimes even this place? Absolutely. Do I feel a tendency in my own heart and life to drift over into just normal living with a little Jesus added on top? And yeah, God's convicts me all the time. And so... Uh, 100%, do you think God considers American Christianity? Uh, I was talking to a guy on the phone this week, and he referenced it as uh, American, the, the American cult of Christianity. And he said that because if you look at the calls of Christ in the Bible, they are to die, they are to pick up a cross, they are to give everything, they are to consider their lives worthless compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And if you were to kind of mirror those two things, right? Now, I think most of the time when we picture American Christianity, 
we picture various like denominations or we picture mega churches. Like we picture, picture churches that are just like millions and millions of dollars and the pastor's in a private jet. And like, I just want you all to know, I don't drive a nice car. I mean, it's a 2007 Honda. Is that nice? I may be okay. <laughs> I don't have a suit on right now. I don't have gold cuff. I don't even own cufflinks. Um, and I don't wear suits on purpose. But the call of God is ever increasing. I always forget American Christianity. On this church is to be 100% sold out that Jesus Christ is worthy of everything. I said that at the beginning. Now, here's the rub of that. Uh, there's a form of Christianity in America today that says, no, God has just called you to raise a couple healthy, safe kids, make just enough money so you can retire at a nice age of 65, move to a beach in Florida and enjoy the rest of your days going to a nice white-headed haired church in Florida. I don't know how to say that. Like a snowbird church in Florida. Is that the right word? Snowbird? Yeah. That, that idea does not match the Bible's call on your life. And that hurts a little bit, right? In fact, we don't like to preach this message like the Bible is full of calls to repentance, that this is going to cost you, that it might cost you your life. It definitely will cost you the, the, the people's opinions about you. And so the church today in America, I think the number one thing is we are captive, captivated by the idea that the world's got to like us and like what they see. But if you look at a historic Christianity like New Testament, early Acts Christianity, they were on the outside of culture. And what we try to do is we try to fight to be the middle of political, American, America. We, we fight to be there. But no, God's put us on the outsides to call them into the light, to be different. And so, yes, I, I do think, I do think uh, God considers Christian, American Christianity lukewarm in a lot of places. And what are you to do about it? Well, I think, number one, you should start with the commands you already know. And you should ask yourself. So what that question kind of maybe portrays is that we're looking at everybody in this room and like, you're lukewarm, and you're lukewarm. And you, well, I would start with you. And I would go, does your life match the life that you say you have in Christ? And are you giving your money, and are you raising your kids, and are you the shows you're watching, and is the drinks you're not drinking or drinking, does all of your life point to that God is worthy, that Jesus saved you, and that you really do believe that in the end, this is all going away, and that will all be? So start with you, your prayer habits, money habits, mouth habits. Now, here's the thing. There's no condemnation in any here. There's a call, though, to repent. I think that's, I think, I think I feel good about that. Email me about it, talk to me about it. Great. Give me another one. <clears throat> How can we be confident that Christianity is the one true religion? So normally when we get into this, we, we start nitpicking like, here's the claims of Muhammad and here's the claims of Buddhists and here's the claims of Hindus and we start breaking it down and we try to, here's the thing, Jesus shows up. Jesus Christ, the one that I believe is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's Bible, not Andrew. And Jesus starts to show up and walk and work in a way that people are like, what? He's got authority. He's got power. And then Jesus starts to make claims. Jesus starts to make the claims, not Christians. Jesus makes the claims that he is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. 
So Jesus is the one making certifiable, I'm the only way claims, okay? Now, if you study, and I've studied them, read the Quran, I've read, I've read the Book of Mormon just for fun and giggles, I mean, like, right? Like, I think you got to know what people believe. If you study those things, you're going to realize really quickly the difference between Jesus and all these other religions. So a lot of these religions, there's not actual claims that they're the way, the truth, and the life. They're going to say, hey, there's some truth here, there's some good morals here, like lean this way. But Jesus is going to go, I'm the way. So we could spend hours on this conversation, but how can we be confident? Well, this is why we sang a song that's like, our answer is Jesus. If Jesus rose from the dead, he's it. If, and here's the thing, I, we can go history on this, like hist, the way I, I love Bible history, I love ancient artifacts and archaeology, you know why? Because they haven't found an archaeological dig yet that disproves this. And, and so I got history on my side, I got archaeology on my side, and I know there's smart scientists on the other side of this thing, guys that are saying, well, equally, do we just disprove all, I know that, but we're both putting our faith in something, and I'm putting my faith in this, this thing 2,000 years ago, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead that he's very much alive, and that he has shown himself off faithful. I mean, we said this last week at Easter. There's 2.5 billion people on the earth right now that claim Jesus as Lord. They say they're Christians. And, and so, yeah, there's equal amount of Muslims. There's equal amount of Buddhists and Hindus. And like, I know all of that. Uh, but here's the thing about truth. And I know we live in a world where it's like, don't talk about truth. Is there, are there true things? I, I say this to people all the time. Is there truth? And they always get nervous because they know where I'm headed. They're like, yeah, because we know there's truth. Two plus two is four. Great, right? We know that. We know that there's empirical truth. There's things that are true and there's things that are not true. Now, let's say I give you my phone number, all right? I give you 513-255-1853. That's my cell phone. Text me. Let's talk, right? Don't write that down. Please, I probably shouldn't have done that. Now, let's say you type in 513-255-1753. Will you get me? Do you remember what I said the first time? <laughs> You're like, I didn't even remember. So those aren't the same, all right? And so the idea that, hey, this road and this road and this road and this road, they all lead to the same place when they are saying completely opposite things is not a logical conclusion. And so we have different truth claims. One of them has to be true. And what I'm saying is I believe history, I believe Bible, I believe the testimony of the people of God, and I believe Jesus Christ himself makes me confident, makes me confident that Christianity really is true. And that's where I'm at on this topic. I would love to talk more about all the other like, world religions, um, but I'm confident in this one, which is why I do what I do for a job. Cool. Um, how do I tell the difference between God's voice and my own in discerning his will for me? Well, this is what you do. You spin in a circle three times. <laughs> I feel like God's voice is one of those things um, that we all desperately want. Like if I could promise you right now, here's a five-point step process that when you go home today, you're going to hear the audible voice of God. Who's signing up? Great. That'll be $39.95, five easy payments. 
You know what I mean? And I, and I feel like we, we want to boil it down to a process. And for me, I'll go for me. Learning the Lord's voice and what that sounds like compared to my own internal voice and what that sounds like compared to the enemy, the evil one, Satan, who does exist, has been a process. And I have not always gotten it right. And sometimes I've looked like a complete fool. Uh, and so here, if, I think this question also is not just how can I know God's voice, but how can I know, yeah, discerning his will for me. How do I know what God's will is? Uh, and this is a question that plagues us too. How do I know if I should take that job? How should I know if I should go here? How do I know what God wants me to do? Uh, and, and so if you were to just kind of walk through the Bible, the first step is in Proverbs, and it's eluding me, but it's basically like I'm going to present my plans and my rights and my life before the Lord. A life submitted is step one. So some of you, you're going, God, I just want your plan because I know it'll be the best. It'll get me the richest and make me the happiest. But you have no desire to submit. You have no desire to actually be his or follow him. You just want the blessings. So step one is, am I submitted? Do I truly want to honor the Lord? Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength? The second step is this process of actually knowing what God already said. So you can learn what God's like, his character, in this book. You can learn that he's good, that he's just, that he's holy, that he's merciful, that he's all these things. You can learn that when he spoke to these saints in the Bible, how he spoke. And I know for a fact that he's not going to speak differently or in, in contrast to what's already in here. So I said a few weeks ago, I think God does speak. I do think God speaks. And there's been moments where, here's the thing, I'm praying and all of a sudden I said like a garden gnomes comes into my head. How in the world am I supposed to know that's God's voice, right? How in the world? So what, what I will do, and I've started to test this, is, all right, Lord, I'm praying Pete. All right, what the heck's going on with Pete, Lord? And I, I plead, Lord, Lord, I want to know how I can bless Pete. I want to know how I can serve Pete. I want to know what Peter needs. Like, I just, I just sit before God and pray. Now, here's the thing. I know my natural inclination is not to go seek Pete out. So I already can check off one of those things. Secondly, I'm like, all right, let's say I hear, like, go punch Pete. Not the Lord. <laughs> we already checked that off. We already can just go ahead and go, common sense and wisdom would tell me that Andrew's ADD kicked in, and he was just, his masculinity took over, and he's like, let's punch somebody, so we could shut that thought down. Now, if the thought is like, I don't know how it fits, then there is a lot of discerning, and you have the Holy Spirit, Christian. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you, and he's alive, and he leads. That's not a non-biblical thought. That's complete Bible. And so the process of, if you look through the Bible... God has spoken audibly to people. God has spoken in a soft whisper to people. God has led people with images or prophets or, I mean, God leads. God speaks. And so the process is, all right, I hear something I think's from God. I make sure, number one, where my heart is is to submit to the Lord. Number two, I make sure it doesn't go against scripture. Number three, I just use wisdom. And then number four, let's say if you're really like, I just don't know, you get godly counsel. Find a godly person and be like, dude, is this crazy? And if they look at you like this, backing up, probably crazy. I wouldn't go there, right? This process of being like, all right, Lord, what we're going to do at the end of this service today is we're going to pray for one another. You know where that came about? I was sitting and I was praying and I was reading scripture about Moses. 
and it was talking about God showing off his wonders and his all, all to the people of God. And I was just praying about that. God, I want to see that at Cobblestone. And a thought came into my head. And it was, Andrew, if you get Cobblestone to pray, you'll see my wonders. Now, where did that come from? Well, I had just read about wonders, so maybe, right? But really, I hadn't been thinking about Cobblestone. I went, all right, Lord, I'll test that. And then I came out here with a lot of fear and a lot of trembling. And I was like, all right, church, we're going to try this thing. We're going to pray for one another. And some of you were like, I'm out. This is awkward. And we've been growing in this. But you tell you, I'll tell you what I've seen come out of that. The Lord's wonders. And the Lord's presence. And the Lord's goodness. So I tested it. And so I think you got to test. I think you got to submit. I think you got to know the word. And I think you got to be really careful that you're not just so geeked up to hear the voice of the Lord that the first thing that flows through your head, which is about 1,700 things in my mind every day, is not just your desire to be spiritual, but truly submitted to the Lord. We could talk a lot, a lot about this, okay? Yeah, let's go. Ooh, that one. Look at that. Why do the things you pray about most seem to be things that don't change or get? Is that true? Why do things you pray about most, okay, seem to be things that don't change or get worse? So, dad's got cancer for 10 years, and I prayed for 10 years that dad didn't get cancer. Is that kind of like the vein of this thought? Uh, I pray for my wife or spouse to know the Lord if they're unsaved and they, for years until they're on their deathbed. They don't know Jesus. Is this the flavor of this question? Uh, the things that we're pleading for of healing and restoration, like, come on, Lord, please. That? Okay. Um, a lot of the things that plague humanities are the whys of earth, uh, and there's some mysteries always involved between God's kind of like sovereignty and between human suffering about why things happen. And so we come up against probably an Im Im immovable thing. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of an example. There's a man in this congregation that has a debilitating disease. And in the beginning of it, we would pray like peace, and we would pray life over him. But I'll tell you what, I've started to pray for him, and I will not stop till the day I don't have breath. That you would heal that man outright. Like, unashamedly. Like, if that makes me weird to you, or you're like, that's weird, that's not how this works, I don't care if that's not how it works. I will trust that God, number one, loves him enough. Number two, if it's God's will, and let's say, I'm not saying my prayers are that powerful, I'm just saying, what if God's just waiting for me to ask? for the 700th time. Because the picture you have in scripture of a widow going like this, let me in, let me in, I need something. This is the picture of prayer in your Bible. Did you know that? And this is Jesus teaching us that when you pray, don't give up, don't lose heart, but keep asking, be persistent, because we have a Father in heaven who loves us. So do I have an answer why God right away didn't heal your mom of cancer? I don't. Do I have an answer of why you pleaded that this horrible situation would turn? I do not. But I know the command of scripture is to pray and trust and plead. And I, want to, and I just picture myself as like a kid that doesn't know any better running into dad's room and being like, dad, I know I already asked you this, but can you do something about this? And I have no shame in saying that. That's, I understand most things that don't change or they get worse. 
So normally what we do in these situations is we just chalk it up to sovereignty and then we grit our teeth and pull ourselves up by their bootstraps. Well, I guess it's not getting better. I guess this is my lot in life. I guess I'll just go sit in woe, ashes, and sackcloth. But really, there's this middle ground somewhere in there where I think we plead and we ask and we ask and we ask and we ask and we trust and then we weep and then we ask questions honestly to the Lord. So here's this question to me. There's a question you're asking of God in the middle of this question. Can I trust you? Can I trust you that even when this bitterly hurts, and it's making me almost want to not trust you, Lord, can I? Will I? So you have to answer that question. Will you? Can you? I say yes. So in regards to, I, I said this last, I think, talking about healing in the series before this. Uh, my dad did not get healed of cancer all the way up to the end. It got to a point where I stopped asking. And I kind of like was mad at myself that I stopped asking. And, and so I understand what this is like. Don't lose heart, though. Don't give up. The Lord sees you. The Lord sees, the Lord hears, the Lord hears. That's my answer to that question. So this is what I like to do, since that was the last question, and that went a lot faster than I thought. I, I told you that my hope is that you and God would meet up today, and the only way I know to do that is for me to get out of the way and me to position you and then go get after him. And so what we're about to do as, as a couple band members come up is I'm going to position you. And all I mean is I'm going to have you stand up and close your eyes. That's it. You don't have to do it yet. And then I just want you to, pre- I want you to pretend like here's your question. The thing you most doubt, wonder about, think about. You're like, I don't, can I trust you here? I want you to picture it out in front of you, and then I want you to bring it to God in prayer, like aggressively. Here's what I think. God is big enough for your questions, for your whys, for your like, can't, why did you do this? Like, this is, my kids ask me these questions. I've not smacked one of them once for asking why. Why? Because I'm dad. Shut your mouth. Like, never. And so our God is big enough for you to go, I don't understand this, Father. Help me. You bring it to him. You cry out that he'd show up. You seek him. So if you would, would you stand? Like I said, close your eyes, and I just want you to have that thing, that thing that you need to trust him with. Maybe even ask him, God, can I trust you? And then I want you to pray and seek and cry out. Just you by yourself. If you came in with anybody, forget them for a few minutes. Let me pray, and when I say church pray, I actually want you out loud crying out, Lord, here's this thing, hear my prayers, let me help me understand kind of thing. Jesus, we come to you, people full of questions, some of us full of doubt, and I thank you that we can bring our broken, doubt-filled lives to you. You're the whole one. You're the perfect one. You're the worthy one. We're just kids that need help. And so, Lord, we come to you now, and we bring our questions. We bring our doubt. And over all of this, Jesus, I pray faith would arise. That you'd help us trust you. We believe. Help our unbelief. And so God, we call to you now. I give all the people in this room to you, regardless if they're comfortable with what we're doing right now or not. And I give them to you. Have your way. And so church, pray. Get after the Lord. Out loud if you're comfortable. Give them your doubt. Can I trust you, Lord?
keep praying. I'm just going to ask any prayer team members to come up front. If you're a pastor or an elder and you want to join in, great, come up front. With your eyes closed and heads bowed, what we're about to do is we're just going to pray for one another, which means we are going to pray that the Lord would answer people's questions. Like God would show up and his presence would overwhelm all this doubt. And so what it's going to look like is you're just going to either pray with the person right next to you, and you're like, I don't know them. Well, you're about to. Or two, you can come up with somebody up here, and they're trained by us, and they will gladly pray over you. Uh, there's moments in my life and in my kids' lives where they're hurting, and they have questions, and they don't know what to do, and all it takes is for me to wrap them up in my arms, and they immediately relax. And so that's the picture I have for some of you today. You're coming with doubt questions, maybe a little bit of anger, and you've been fighting the God that just wants to wrap you up, and so that's all we're doing. After I pray and I say, church, pray, you're going to find somebody, so there'll be a lot of movement in the room, and you're just going to pray that God would wrap this person up in his love, in his presence, in his goodness, and that he would reveal. If there's any doubt that you would confess it, pray for one another. We lift each other up. You administer to each other. And so Lord, we bring to you all that we are. And I do, I pray that picture all over this room in the next few minutes. That people would be getting wrapped up by their Heavenly Father. That they felt, they felt distance, they felt in the dark, but that you would pull them into you. Because more than we need answers to our questions, we need you, Jesus. And so draw people to yourself right now, Father. I know that you have people sitting next to one another on purpose. I pray you'd make people bold that need questions answered to come forward and receive prayer. So church, just as quickly as you can, find somebody to pray with. Turn. There'll be a lot of movement. Right next to you, if you're next to somebody, husbands, pray for your wives. If you're new here and this is all weirding you out, you can just stare at me. I don't care. If you need prayer, all these people are up here. And you're like, I, I got something big. I need prayer. Come up here. Please come up here. Any of these people.
All right, if you're still praying, forget, don't listen to me. Um, if you're up front here and you're in a deep conversation, it might be time to move it into the prayer room or step back there. I don't care. I think the only way to really end this kind of service is we're just going to sing worthy of it all again. We're going to sing that God is worthy because there's a moment where you have to decide to like grab on to the Lord and not let go. So if you're not praying, would you stand with us? And then church, let's sing to the Lord.